couple of weeks ago, uh, we were driving in the car, and I was listening to a little um, NPR news radio, and my son Sam from the back seat, four years old, says, Daddy, why do they always talk so much about Donald Duck? <laughs> Good question, buddy. Good question. Um, we find ourselves right now in the middle of this season where political tensions are so high, right? It's everywhere. It's like all conversations seem to swirl around this topic, and even our four-year-old kids are picking up on it, right? They can sense it. They can sense the tension. They, they can feel the heightened sense of tension around all of that. We're going to look at a scene today in Scripture that blows this away, okay? The, the amount of political tension that we see in this scene completely blows away anything that we're experiencing right now. The controversy that we're going to see played out in this passage runs far deeper than anything that we are experiencing right now. It's in the book of John. We're going to start in John chapter 12. And this is the story of the triumphal entry. Today is Palm Sunday, and churches all around the world, Christians all around the world are celebrating this day where Jesus enters into Jerusalem and they welcome him as the king, right? This massive celebration going on. They're, they're cheering for him. They're crying out this word, Hosanna, which means save us. They're recognizing him as the Messiah that they've been waiting for, they are naming him and proclaiming him as the king of the Jews. This moment that they have been waiting for since the prophets spoke about it. And now here it is playing out. And, and this scene, the, the, when we look at it, it seems like this scene of great triumph. And of course it is. It feels like a scene of great celebration. And of course it is. But as we're going to see as we look beneath the surface a little, a little bit. We're going to see that this is a highly controversial moment and that Jesus is intentionally confronting and provoking and challenging and subverting the religious authorities and the political authorities of his day. He is making a bold, bold claim in this moment, and it's a dangerous moment for him. This is actually a catalyst moment. That sets into motion even more, speeds up their plot to put him to death. This is a tense, tense moment that we're going to look at. Turn with me, John chapter 12. Uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 19. And this is the scene known as the triumphal entry. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Let's stop there for just a minute. The feast. What feast are we talking about? Anybody know? Passover. Exactly. This is, this is uh, such an important feast in the Jewish calendar. This is a very holy moment for the Jewish people. All right. Uh, the feast of Passover celebrated and commemorated the time when God set them free from slavery in Egypt. When God overthrows the, the Egyptian empire, sets them free when they had been slaves in Egypt for centuries. 
And this commemorates that. So as people are coming all together into Jerusalem to remember this, and people would have come from all over the place to remember this. It was called a pilgrimage feast. People would make this journey to be there, to be in the city of Jerusalem, to celebrate what God had done, to remember that as a people together. And so you've got to realize that their sense of history is heightened, right? Their sense of national pride is heightened. Their sense of faith in what God has done for them before and in what God could do for them now is heightened. All of this is coming together as this scene is playing out. They took palm branches, it says, and went out to meet him. This is a sign of welcome of royalty. All right. They came out to meet him shouting Hosanna. It's a word that means save us, save us. They're recognizing him as the one that God has sent to save the Jewish people. And they've been waiting for this for centuries. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with them when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Jesus, help us as we unpack this today. As we dig into your word, as we look forward as well to Good Friday today. Pray that your spirit would just speak with clarity and with power, with conviction. This is your word. Speak it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in this moment, we have Jesus being intentionally controversial, intentionally provoking, intentionally subverting the authorities, the religious authorities and the political authorities authorities of this day by Jesus riding in on a donkey he is borrowing this image from Old Testament prophecy letting the people know that he is in fact claiming to be the Messiah that they've been waiting for the king of the Jews so the religious authorities would have been incredibly upset by this they were they were against Jesus and for him to make this proclamation and for everyone to come rushing to him in that to celebrate him and get caught up and swept up in that this angered them as you can see see they said it's getting us nowhere see how the whole world has gone after him so they accelerate their plot to put him to death this is also a bold move not just against the religious authorities but against the political authorities Because as we know, the Jewish people, the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, they weren't reigning themselves at that point, right? They were not leading themselves. They were actually under the oppressive reign of the Roman Empire. And so for Jesus to claim to be the king of the Jews was an intentional move to challenge 
the Roman Empire. Jesus knows what he is doing. He knows exactly what he is doing. This takes boldness. This takes courage. Yes, there's this gentleness and there's this humility, right, about this image of Jesus coming in on a donkey, this sign of peace. But also at the same time, it's bold. It's courageous. It's controversial. And he is making the claim that I am, in fact, the king. Jesus is never shy about claiming his rightful place as king. He wasn't shy in this moment. He's not shy about it in your life either. And Jesus will never settle for anything other than unrivaled reign in your life. Right now, what are the things in your life that he is challenging, that he is provoking, that he is confronting, where he's saying, I'm the king over your life. We all want to talk about the kingdom of God, right? But we have to remember that the kingdom has a king, and his name is Jesus. And we live in surrender to him. What are the places in your life where Jesus is challenging you today? What are those places? He won't settle for anything other than unrivaled reign. Jesus goes on in this same chapter, in verse 32 of chapter 12, to say that if he is lifted up, then he will draw all people to himself. And we see this playing out in this scene, right? There's a sense in which Jesus is exalted as he's coming into the city, and all of the people are rushing to him. Right. He's lifted up as the king and all people are coming to him. And at first glance, it seems like that is what he's talking about, that if we'll continue to celebrate him, if we'll continue to exalt him in this kind of way, then all of the people will come around and celebrate him as well. But see, Jesus is looking past Palm Sunday in this moment. Jesus is seeing this playing out in a different way. He sees and envisions this playing out in a different way. He looks beyond Palm Sunday and he's looking ahead to Good Friday. And when he talks about being lifted up, he's not just talking about being exalted as the king. He is about to be lifted up in a different way, in a way that we never would have imagined, in a way that we never would have drawn out or planned for him. He is about to be lifted up on a cross. And in that moment, he is, in fact, drawing all people to himself. And it's through his death that we are brought into reconciled relationship with God. This is about to come true in a way that none of us expected. We want to keep lifting him up. Like, let's keep this parade going, Jesus. And, and let's not just claim to be the king over Jerusalem, let's scale this out. Let's build you an empire that spreads like the Roman Empire and rival them. But Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it. You don't see what I have come to do. You don't see what I've come to do. I've come to lay down my life, and he's about to be lifted up in a different way. That brings us to John chapter 19, where we're going to be for the rest of our time together today. John chapter 19, we're going to look at verses 30 through 37 and throughout the season of Lent as we've been walking on this journey towards Easter we have been soaking in these last words of Jesus these seven statements that Jesus makes from the cross these words that are so crucial because he's under such excruciating pain that he has to force these words out 
So we understand just the weight of what Jesus is saying in these words as we look at these seven different statements. So today we're looking at the statement he makes of it is finished. It is finished. John chapter 19. I want to actually start a little bit further back. I'm going to start um, at 28 for just a minute. Our friend Allison did a great job last week um, preaching through this part of the passage. But we're going to start here because of something that it leads us into. Later, it says, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Hang on to that idea. okay? hang on to that idea that Jesus understands the completion and the fulfillment of scripture in what he is doing. And that's how he understands exactly what is happening so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, celebrating again that Passover feast. Keep yourself rooted in that idea that this is what's happening all around this. This is during the Passover feast. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. They would break the legs so that the the criminals couldn't push themselves up anymore to gain any more breaths. So by breaking the legs, they would speed up the process of suffocation and death through crucifixion. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, John, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. There it is again. Not one of the bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Now, in this moment, there are two major Old Testament echoes that we're going to unpack together. What is happening in this moment of Jesus saying with these last words, it is finished. It is finished. Other gospels record that Jesus let out a loud cry and we get the sense that this was that loud cry. It is finished in the Greek. It's actually one word. It's this one word together and it's this triumphant kind of expression that Jesus makes with his last breath. It is finished. Two Old Testament echoes that we're going to look at together here. It's happening as it talks about scripture being fulfilled in this moment. It is finished. Number one, we get an echo of the creation story. We get an echo of the creation story. Does anybody remember what the first three words of the book of John are? Say it loud. In the beginning. Exactly. In the beginning. John begins this gospel with those three words. In the beginning. And where else have we heard those three words? 
Genesis. There it is. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. John is intentionally setting his gospel up, as we've said over and over again, as this new creation story that went that what went wrong in the garden is going to be set right through Jesus. And now we have this very interesting parallel in the beginning. And now we have three other words. It is finished in the beginning. It is finished. And what Jesus does in this moment is he completes this new creation story. The parallels continue. Jesus is put to death on a Friday, which is the sixth day of the week. He's put to death on the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, he is in the tomb. His work is completed on the sixth day. On the seventh day, he is resting. Parallel back to the creation story where God finishes the creation work on the sixth day. And then it says on the seventh day, he rests. And he makes that a holy day of rest. It continues even further. God on the sixth day creates humanity. And here we have on this sixth day, Jesus recreating us. Jesus paving the way for new creation, for humanity to be rescued, for humanity to be restored, for humanity to be reconciled back into that, the depth of that relationship that God intended for us in the first place. All kind of creation echoes happening here. There's a second piece, though. So first we've got the creation story echo, and then second we've got the story of the Exodus. And we see the parallels that are happening there as well that John wants us to catch, that John wants us to grab a hold of in this moment. As we've said multiple times already today, Jesus dies during the Passover feast. This is the feast that remembers when God sets the people of Israel free from Egypt. The way he does that is this. He sends ten plagues against this powerhouse empire of Egypt. Ten plagues. And the final plague is the one that finally breaks Pharaoh's will, right? Finally breaks him. And he says, okay, I will let these people go. The last plague is the plague of death. It's the angel of death that is sent into Egypt. But in order for God to rescue his people, the people of Israel, he tells them, on the night that the angel of death is to come, I want you to sacrifice a lamb, put a lamb to death and take the blood of the lamb and go out to your doorpost and cover your doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And so when death passes through, death will see the blood of the lamb and it will pass over that house and it will not touch that house and you will be rescued from death. Do you see the parallels already into what is happening in this moment? Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. And it's the blood that he spills out that covers over us and sets us free from death. It rescues us from death and it brings us into his life, the exchange of his life for ours. And now we share in his life. Do you see how that is happening? 
And through this, Jesus sets us free from the slavery of sin and death and leads us into the promised land of freedom with him, of salvation, of new life with him. It is finished. What was foreshadowed in the Exodus is finished in Jesus. And the lamb goes out with this roar of a lion. It is finished. It is finished. John is intentionally painting this picture for us. And Jesus completes it. He is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. Jesus is the completion of every promise God has ever made. Jesus is the fulfillment of the full scope of Scripture. He's the fulfillment of Adam and Eve. He's the fulfillment of Adam and Eve. And what went wrong in the garden is set right through him. He's the fulfillment of Cain and Abel. The first murder that's recorded in the scripture where out of anger and jealousy, one brother takes the life of another. But in the person of Jesus, we see that through humility and mercy and grace, he willingly gives up his life for ours. He exchanges his life for ours. He's the fulfillment of the Tower of Babel. Where in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, people build a tower to try to climb all the way to God. But Jesus completely reverses that. And God comes to us, willingly descending and humbling himself to make a way to us. He is the fulfillment of Noah. That even though we deserve the punishment for sin, he provides the rescue. He's the fulfillment of of Abraham. He's the completion of that covenant and that promise. And through Jesus, the entire world is blessed. He's the fulfillment of Isaac. He is the son who willingly lays down his life for the sake of the world. He's the fulfillment of Jacob. He wrestles for us and brings us into that blessed relationship with God. He's the fulfillment of Joseph. His dreams for us are coming true through what he has done right here on the cross. He's the fulfillment of Moses. He is our deliverer. He's the fulfillment of Joshua. He leads us into the promised land. He's the fulfillment of Deborah. He's the righteous judge who triumphs in battle and brings us victory. He's the fulfillment of Ruth. He brings us into redeemed family relationship. He's the fulfillment of David. He's the anointed shepherd king who overthrows every giant that comes against us. He's the fulfillment of Elijah. He doesn't just speak the word of God. He is the living, breathing, walking, moving word of God. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah. He is our oak of righteousness. He's the one who's been anointed to bring good news to the poor, bring sight for the blind, release for the captive, to bring us jubilee. He is the fulfillment of Esther, the one who is willing to perish for the redemption of the people. He is the fulfillment of the words of Zechariah. Behold, O Israel, your king coming to you humbly on a donkey. He is the fulfillment of scripture. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. He is everything that we've been waiting for. He is the completion of every promise of God. This is why why we welcome him when he comes into Jerusalem, because he is the king that we have been waiting for. So we sing his praises and we shout, Hosanna, save us, because we know you are the only one. You are our 
king. You are our king. Here you are, and you've come to finish the work. He gets the last word, and his last word is, it is finished. Amen. Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your last word, that in fact it is finished in you. It is finished in you. You are the fulfillment. You are the completion. You are the new creation. You are the new exodus. And we find our freedom in you. It is finished. Amen.